While local ministry and mission are absolutely necessary for the church, global mission is often tragically neglected. Over 2 billion people in the world still do not have access to the gospel. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. If you're new to the podcast, you can find today's sermon plus thousands of more free resources over at our website, and that's at Radical. And in this message today from Psalm 19, David Platt presses home the urgency of the church's mission in view of the massive spiritual and physical needs in the world. And this global mission involves every follower of Christ on the planet. Recently back from a trip in the Himalayas in a region where out of about 9 million people in population, a mere 100 of those are believers. I believe this message from Pastor David is obviously so close to his heart for the nations, but also a timely word for the church in the West. So here's David with a sermon title, Hope and the Himalayas, Why We Must Go to the Ends of the Earth, from Psalm 19. First and foremost, as one of your pastors, I want to be clear. Local ministry and local mission are totally necessary. So we're going to talk today a lot about the Himalayas and other places in the world that are far from Metro Washington, D.C., but that doesn't mean that ministry and mission aren't totally necessary right here in Metro Washington, D.C. Local ministry is necessary, meaning there are men and women, children in this room at other campuses right now who are walking through all kinds of struggles. Marriage struggles, family struggles, work struggles, physical struggles, emotional struggles, spiritual struggles. I could go on and on. And I want to be a pastor. We want to be a church that cares for one another well and serves and supports one another well. And we're praying through, even specifically, some major changes here at Tyson's in particular to better care for individuals and marriages and families. Local ministry is totally necessary. And local mission, so outreach, is totally necessary. There is so much need for the gospel right here in this city. Jesus' command to make disciples plays out most practically right where we live. We have so many opportunities to reach the nations right here in Metro Washington, D.C. So local mission is totally necessary. At the same time, so this is the second reality. Global mission is tragically neglected. Meaning, the region I was in, in the Himalayas last week, has about nine million people, which is approximately the population of the Metro Washington, Baltimore area. But do you know how many Christians there are out of those nine million people? About a hundred. Like there are more believers sitting in this small little section of the auditorium here at Tyson's than there are among nine million people in the Himalayas. Like that is a problem that we can't just ignore. 
And if the spiritual need in those mountains is not heavy enough, you add on top of that the physical need. So a study was done years ago in this region I was in, and they found that half of the children were dying before their eighth birthday. Half. One of my biggest fears, in a sense, is something happening to one of my kids. I can't imagine that being an expectation for half of them. And they're dying of preventable diseases. Cholera outbreaks due to unclean water, lack of medicine. I've shared before how one of the byproducts of poverty in these villages is trafficking. Young girls taken from their homes and put to work in either the city or taken to other countries never to return again. There was an art therapy session while I was there for girls who'd been rescued from trafficking and one of the girls who'd been rescued was eight years old. I have an eight-year-old girl. So I guess one option is for us to sit here and say, we are only gonna care about Washington. But I do not believe that is what God's word compels us to do. Today, I wanna show you that God's word compels us to care about the world, starting right here in Washington, but not stopping here. That's why I've titled our journey together through the word today, Hope in the Himalayas, Why We Must Go to the Ends of the Earth. And I wanna show you in Psalm 19 why we must go in a way that I've prayed will. This morning, God's word, not anything I say, but God's word, change thinking and change the trajectory of lives in this room and other campuses and even in the, our future together as a church. So let's, let's read God's word together. Psalm 19, verse one. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant ward, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, you may remember if you were here, we actually studied this chapter back in January when we outlined a method for reading the Bible, maps. Meditate, 
apply, pray, share. But this week, as I was reading this chapter again in our Bible reading, I couldn't help but think about the Himalayas and specifically the need for God's word in the world. So follow along with there in your notes. The truth of Psalm 19 here is really pretty simple. God reveals himself generally in the world around us. That's what Psalm 19 verses one through six are all about. Without any words, creation shouts. God is glorious. This is all around us here. It was all around me in the Himalayas. We we landed by plane in one particular city and got on a helicopter and flew into the mountains and landed at about 12,000 feet. Just to put that in perspective, the highest mountain east of the Mississippi is about 6,000 feet. So we landed at twice that. And it was like we were in a valley. We were dwarfed by mountains all around us. I'll put some pictures on the screen. So the first is at the highest peak we uh, trekked, just over 15,000 feet where I'm standing there. That's higher than any mountain in the continental US. And at that height, we are looking up at mountains towering above us. As you're hiking across bridges, over mountains, through villages, you just watch the clouds form above these mountaintops and it's like the sky is continually shouting, God is awesome. Like the one who spoke, who just said a word and all this just came into being. And then at night, the stars would come out. It was like God was putting on a show. Like, look at this, look at this time-lapse video that shows just stars shooting left and right. A friend was capturing all these pictures, and all these stars just started shooting in different places. He got this one picture of a burning meteor lighting up the sky. Like, <laughs> all this to say, Psalm 19, 2 is true. Everywhere, and especially in the Himalayas. Day to day, the heavens pour out speech. Night to night, they reveal knowledge. God is declaring his glory, his greatness, his beauty, his grandeur in the world around us. But, but what is the effect of all of this? So I wanna put Romans 1, 18 through 20 on the screen now because this is really humbling. Listen to what the Bible says is the effect of all this. Romans 1, 18, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Then the next verse goes on to talk about how all people see the glory of God in creation, but we reject the glory of God in creation. So people either deny the glory of God in creation altogether, atheists look at those mountains and conclude, there's no God who created this. Or all kinds of other people worship other gods instead of the one true God. All kinds of other people like you and me. We have all turned aside from the worship of the one true God. We've all turned aside from his way to our own ways. As a result, we are separated from God, and we know this. So this, following in your notes, we see God's glory in creation, but the result of God's general revelation is humbling separation from him. 
So follow this. God's revelation in creation is sufficient to show us that God is our glorious creator and we are sinful creation separated from him and that's where the story stops. Which means we desperately need more revelation from God. Enter Psalm 19, verse 7 and following, where we learn that God reveals himself specially in his word to us. So there's a major transition in Psalm 19 when you get to verse 7, and David starts to address God's revelation in his word. There's actually a crescendo in the Hebrew poetry here as his heart just overflows in speaking about how the revelation of God and his word is even greater than God's revelation in the world. In the first six verses, God is called El, a fairly general name for God. That name is only mentioned once. But in the second part, God is referred to with his covenant name, Yahweh, the Lord, seven different times. The last of which is punctuated by threefold title, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And that's just it. The world reveals the general glory of God, but the word reveals the special redemption of God. And the result of God's special revelation in his word is hope for salvation. Just look at all the effects of the word here in Psalm 19 that are far greater than God's revelation in the world. God's word is able to do what the world can't do, what the Himalayas can't do. God's word revives the soul in a ways that the Himalayas can't makes wise in a way that Himalayas can't do. God's word rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes, endures forever in a way that even the Himalayas won't. Ultimately, God's word redeems and saves in a way that nothing in creation, not even Mount Everest, the highest mountain in the world, can do. Think about this word. We, we talk about this every week. I'll summarize here, for those who are new or visiting, particularly if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, what this book reveals is, yes, how good and glorious God is. And yes, how we have sinned against God. We've all turned aside from God. But that's not the end of the story here because this word reveals how God has made a way for you and me to be saved from our sins and reconciled to him. This word reveals how God has come to us in the person of Jesus to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. He came to suffer the separation we deserve. It's what we read a couple of weeks ago. I was reading it on the trail, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those were Jesus' words on the cross when he paid the price for your sins and my sins. He suffered separation from God the Father, judgment for sin, so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin and reconciled, restored to relationship with God. Through Jesus, God has made a way for you and I to know him, to be in a relationship with him. Like a relationship with God. I, I, I was sitting every morning on those Himalayan mountainsides and I'm sitting there thinking, I know the God who created these mountains. <laughs> like I'm in a relationship with him. <laughs> like I'm talking to him. He's talking to me. <laughs> the God who created all this. It was awesome. And at night, you're just putting on this show in the stars in the sky, and I'm, I'm sitting there like clapping, like, this is glorious. 
applauding, my God. Oh, how is this relationship possible? This relationship is only possible through God's revelation of Jesus. Without Jesus, I could not have a relationship with God. I would be a sinner separated from him. But through Jesus, by faith in him, I have been restored to a relationship with God now that will last forever. Forever. It's so humbling trekking those trails. You see landslides all around you, just where pieces of the mountain have broken off and could break off at any moment. There's one large village that we walked through. Well, it used to be a large village until one day a landslide happened. An entire mountain wall collapsed and buried the whole village underground, just like that. Just imagine your neighborhood without any warning, just like that, totally buried. A trail now goes over that rubble. It was overwhelming walking over what was basically a graveyard beneath you. Hundreds of children, men, and women whose bodies are under those rocks. And I was just reminded, life is really fragile, especially in those mountains. But as I was trekking there, I was not afraid. I had nothing to fear. Because I know if a landslide comes or something happens to me suddenly on the side of one of those mountains, I know exactly where I'm going because I've been restored to a relationship with God that will last forever. Psalm 19.9, a life that endures forever. And I know that because of this word. Because of this word, I have hope. You can have hope that outlasts death itself. I was talking with a car salesman this week. We had a few extra minutes and I said, uh, do you know if you were to die tonight, you would go to heaven? And he said, no. And I told him, you can know through faith in Jesus. And I shared based on how God's word, what God's word teaches us. He can know he has eternal life with God. You can have eternal life with God. Know you have eternal life by trusting in Jesus. That's what God has said in his word. Now, all that leads to the situation in the world. We're right now at this moment. So follow this. All people have God's general revelation in the world. All people everywhere. That's what we just read in Psalm 19, verse four. God's revelation and creation goes out through all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Creation's testimony to the glory of God reaches everybody on the planet. The sun we see today is the same sun that shines in the Himalayas. And it speaks every language on the planet. The moon and stars you and I see tonight are the same moon and stars that shine and shoot over those mountains. All people have God's general revelation in the world. But many people don't have God's special revelation in his word. In other words, all they have is God's general revelation. They don't have God's word verbally proclaimed to them or written down in front of them. Maybe the Bible is not available in their language, which is still the case for many languages right now. Or the gospel is not accessible where they live, meaning the good news of what God has done in Jesus to pay the price for our sins has not yet reached where they live. And this is 
the massive difference between Metro Washington and the Himalayas. Because the gospel is accessible to people in Metro Washington, D.C. There are Bibles in our languages that contain the gospel. There are churches all across the city today proclaiming the gospel. There are Christians all throughout this metro region who believe the gospel, who can share the gospel here. But in these remote villages in the Himalayas, there are practically no Bibles in their language. There are hardly any churches preaching the gospel. And there are hardly any Christians who even know, much less could share the gospel. And that is the case, not just for remote people groups in the Himalayas, that is the case for more than 6,000 people groups in the world. And if you're not familiar with that language, a people group is basically an ethno-linguistic group a people who share a common ethnicity, language, and culture, which is what the Bible means when it talks about nations. So the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all the nations is not a command to go to every country. Remember, countries like the United States did not exist when Jesus gave that command. Jesus said, go to every ethne. That's the word in Matthew 28, 19, every ethnic group. And there are over 6,000 ethnic groups, the Hui of China, the Baloch of Pakistan, the Berber of Morocco, the Bat of India, and 24 different people groups in the region of the Himalayas we were in, among whom there are very few, if any, followers of Christ, hardly any churches, basically no gospel, no good news of salvation. And these 6,000 plus people groups comprise over 2 billion people in the world. Individual men, women, and children, just like you and me, just like us who have general revelation of God, but what's different from us is they don't have access to the good news of what Jesus has done for their sins. It's not that they've heard that and rejected it. It's they haven't even heard it. It's not that they have access to this and they're turning away from it. It's that they don't even have access to it. So put this together and realize. God, please cause light bulbs to go off in minds and hearts right now. Help thousands of people right now to feel the weight of this. Either for the first time or in a fresh way. If over 2 billion people and more than 6,000 people groups do not hear God's word, they cannot experience salvation from their separation. They cannot be saved from their sins if they don't hear about the Savior of sinners. This is straight from the Bible. Romans 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, telling them? Then you 
get down to verse 17 and the Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And interestingly, right after that, it quotes from Psalm 19.4. The point is clear. People can only come to faith in Christ if they hear the word, the revelation of Christ. But if they don't hear this word, they can't be saved from their sin. Moreover, they won't ever hear this word unless someone goes and shares it with them, speaks it to them. Therefore, it is the responsibility and privilege of everyone who has God's word to make it known to everyone in the world. Like, this is our responsibility, right? Like, this is so simple. Think about it. If you have a cure to cancer, do you keep that to yourself? Or do you share it only with the people who live closest to you in your city? Like, no way. You share it with everybody possible. You work to get that cure to everybody possible. Church, we have the cure to an eternal cancer. A cure to sin and death itself. Like even a cure to cancer will only hold, hold off death for a time. We have a cure that will hold off death forever. We cannot limit who gets this. <laughs> Why would we do that? We must work to get this to everybody we can. Which is exactly what Jesus has told us to do. We say it every week. Not just go and make disciples, generally where we live. Go and make disciples of all the nations, all the ethne, all the people groups of the world. Jesus, this is what he told us to do. Go make it known to all of them. This is your responsibility and privilege. Like, do we realize what a privilege this is? I'm walking through Himalayas and it hits me in a fresh way. Like as beautiful as those mountains are and they are beautiful. Like day after day, night after night, they're proclaiming the glory of God. And they've done that for centuries in these villages. But here's the deal. Those mountains have proclaimed God's glory for centuries. But do you know what they haven't done? Not for one moment have any of those mountains ever proclaimed the gospel. Not one time over the course of centuries have I ever proclaimed the good news of God's love in Jesus. That's a privilege reserved for you and me. This is why Romans 10, 15 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Do you realize? You realize that you and I have the privilege of, what, of doing what not even the heights of the Himalayan mountains can do? You and I have the privilege of proclaiming to people who in their sin are separated from God, we have the privilege of telling them they can be forgiven of all their sin, restored to a relationship with God forever. All right. there's, there's this one really high mountain right next to where we were. The villagers believe this mountain is a God because many people have tried to climb it and no one has made it. 60 or 70 people have died. The villagers believe that mountain is a God who does not want to be known, will punish anyone who tries to know it. Oh, we have such good news that the one true God who created all these mountains, including that one, not only wants to be known, he wants to be enjoyed and he has made a way to be known and enjoyed in a relationship with him available to anyone, anywhere who simply trusts in his love. This is the greatest news in the world. 
Anyone, anywhere can know and enjoy God forever. Why would we ever limit who we make this news known to? And why? 2,000 years after Jesus came, have two billion people still never heard this news? I think a lot of it has to do with the things we say in the church that we must stop saying. Things like, but I'm not called to global mission. I hear versions of this all the time. People say, you talk about global mission. I'm just not called to that. And at the root of this statement is a fundamental error in thinking. Because when we're thinking about global mission, we're thinking about an optional program in the church for a select few people who are called to that. When this is the central command Jesus gave every single one of us to drive all of our lives. The great commission is global mission. And it is for every, every Christian. God help us, we've taken Jesus' last command to us before he left the earth and turn it into an optional program for a couple of special people. So when we hear Jesus say, go and make disciples of all the nations, we assume that means others. But when we hear Jesus say, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest, we assume that means me. We hear Jesus says, you, he says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And we think, well, that's for others. We hear Jesus say, cast your cares on me and I will care for you. And we think that means me. What right do we think we have to draw a line of distinction between the promises of Christ and the commands of Christ? Creating a Christianity where we are content to sit back and soak in his promises as if they're for all of us while we ignore his commands as if they are for others. This is not biblical Christianity. This statement, I'm not called to global mission, reflects an unbiblical understanding of our salvation. I hope you're seeing crystal clear as we read through the story of scripture over and over and over again. God saves his people for the spread of his grace and his glory among all peoples. Wake up, Christian. Your salvation is not just about you. You have been saved for the spread of God's grace and glory in the world. You have been commanded to make disciples of all the nations. This is not a calling for a couple of us. This is God's purpose for all. All of us. We're not just called. We are created for this. Created for global mission, for the spread of God's grace and glory to the ends of the earth. That's the purpose of our lives. It's why we have breath. Now, obviously, this will look different in all of our lives. But I guarantee you this. All of our lives change when we realize we are created for global mission. Created for the spread of God's grace and glory in all the world. So we stop saying, I'm not called to global mission. And we stop saying, wouldn't it be better for me to give than to go to people who've never heard the gospel? Now, don't get me wrong here. Giving is an extremely important part of our involvement in global mission. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But I'll often hear people say, I'm not going to go anywhere outside where I live. I, I'll just give. And this reflects an unbiblical understanding of the gospel. I remember one of the first times I went on a, a trip uh, overseas. I was actually going to Sudan to come alongside the persecuted church there. This is before South Sudan even existed as they were working to share the gospel in unreached areas. And I remember it was a pretty expensive trip 
And I remember somebody coming up to me in the church saying, why are you gonna pay all that money to go on a trip? Why don't you just send the money? And I remember wrestling with that. I remember when I went on the trip, I got over there and I'm spending time with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Sudan. And one of them is a guy, his name was Repent. It's great, like you share the gospel every time you introduce yourself. But <laughs> Repent, he's talking to me. And uh, he, said, uh, he said, David, in all the persecution we've experienced and suffering we've experienced, uh, there have been many people who have done many good things for us, uh, even non-governmental organizations that have come and helped, and we are so thankful. But then he looked at me. He looked me in the eye and he said, but do you know how I can tell who a true brother is? I said, how? And he said, a true brother comes to be with you in your time of need. He said, I just want to thank you for, for being my brother. And in that moment, I was just keenly reminded that when God brought salvation to you and me, he didn't send gold or silver, cash or credit. He came himself. So how are we gonna share the gospel if we never go ourselves? I trust we're not so shallow as to think our money is the primary answer to the needs of the hurting. Like we know well in our culture here in Metro DC that money is not the answer. How many neighborhoods among us have large houses, expensive cars, hefty bank accounts, yet homes filled with strife and bitterness and separation from God and hurt and pain and insecurity. God help us to not think that our money alone is the answer, especially when it comes to people's greatest need, the need for the gospel. And God help us not to so skew that gospel by sending money while refusing to go ourselves. Not that money isn't important, which we'll get to. But at this point, people say, well, why don't we just let the locals do it? Meaning, aren't there other Christians in the world who can do this better than us? Why don't we just send other Christians who are closer, for example, to the Himalayas? And without question, it is wise and right and good for us to partner together with our brothers and sisters around the world and spreading the gospel to places where it hasn't gone. We must do that. But this kind of language, why don't we just let the locals do it, kind of misses the point. Because when it comes to unreached people, that's the point. There are no locals what it means to be unreached. There are no local Christians, very few local Christians in these 6,000 plus people groups. There aren't churches there. So this statement reflects an unbiblical understanding of the need. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 9, Luke 10, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Get that. Jesus says the problem is not that there aren't people who aren't ready to hear the gospel. They are ready. Translated today, two billion people ready. The problem is there aren't Christians going to them. That's the point. And when we say this, we're in essence saying somebody else can do that, but not us. It's like Isaiah before God in Isaiah 6 when God says, whom shall I send? Instead of us saying, like Isaiah, here am I, send me. What we're saying to God when he asks, whom shall I send? Instead of here am I, send me, we're saying, there they are, send them. Basically, God, don't look at me, send somebody else. But what about the needs here, we ask? Meaning, aren't there enough needs in Metro Washington to keep us busy? And to be honest, when people ask this, this is usually a smokescreen. Because the majority of us are, are not like sharing the gospel and serving the poor right here in Metro Washington. But even if we are, and we say this, 
we're still flawed in our thinking because yes, there are needs here, like tons of them. And we wanna share and show God's love in the middle of them. Like we said earlier, local mission is totally necessary. But what if every Christian and every church took this philosophy? I'm just gonna focus on needs right around me. Here's what would happen. We would ultimately be disobedient to Jesus' command to make disciples of all the nations. And meanwhile, practically, millions of people in the Himalayas and two billion people in the world would continue to be born and live and die and enter into an eternity separated from God without ever hearing the gospel. Just think, at some point, somebody has to care about needs beyond where they live and go there. And not just go somewhere else in the world. You know what's really interesting? Even when churches and Christians focus on missions, we actually primarily focus on places where the gospel has already gone. Do you know that well over 90% of missions dollars, over 90% of missionaries actually go to places and peoples in the world where the gospel is already accessible? Even when we have thought about missions as a church, we often think about Ethiopia, Uganda, the DR, but there are thousands of churches in these countries. Now, I want to be clear. That doesn't mean there's not work to do there. We're taking teams there this summer for a variety of good reasons, but we still need to be aware that even in many of the things we think of as missions, we're still not getting the gospel to places where it hasn't gone. Don't, don't miss what's happening here. Please, please hear this loud and clear, like personally, right where you are sitting. Satan is doing everything he can to keep you and me individually, in our families, and in the church from getting the gospel to where it's not gone. Even to the point of overwhelming us with needs right around us or with needs in reached places in the world that ultimately keep us from going to unreached people in the world. Satan will always pull you and me away from the unreached toward areas reached by the gospel. He's so subtle, and this is why. Inevitably, you will hear. I guarantee you people will say it today, in the days ahead, in this church, in any church. Whenever there is talk about mission to the ends of the earth, there will always be people in the church who say, why do we talk about mission so much? We spend too much time focused on unreached people. And brothers and sisters, with all due respect, there are over two billion individuals who've never even heard the name or the love of Jesus. I assure you, we are nowhere close to being too focused on them. But we can actually think we sound spiritual. Like we say things like, well, God has given me a heart for this city or God has given me a heart for my country. And phrases like that sound good, but think about what you're saying because God's heart is for the world. Which means if you have a heart for the United States, then you have about 5% of God's heart. If you have a heart for Metro Washington, then you have even less than that. So apparently we've created the idea you can say you have a small percentage of God's heart and be proud of this. This statement reflects an unbiblical understanding of compassion. Jesus' heart 
beats for the ends of the earth, for all the peoples of the earth, including the people I was around last week. And the spirit of Jesus lives in you and me. So all of our hearts should beat as Christians for the glory of Christ in all of the earth among all of the peoples. Last thing we must stop saying that people will inevitably think, if not outright say, when this topic comes up, is that it's too costly, risky, difficult, dangerous to get the gospel to some of these places. And it's true. It's costly, risky, difficult, and dangerous. You hike through the Himalayas and you realize unreached people are unreached for a reason. They're hard, difficult, even dangerous to reach. The partners we were working with, when they first came into those mountains years ago, were told, do not come back with this message about Jesus. If you do, we'll kill you. Do you know what? They kept coming back. And now, years later, for the first time, people are coming to faith in Christ in these villages. I met the first believer in one village, the first known believer in the history of his people group. And now he's facing persecution. So what are we going to say? Are we going to say to our brothers and sisters around the world, you risk your lives, but don't expect us to do the same alongside you. And are we really going to say to people who are on a road that leads to eternal suffering, if it's easy for us, we will bring the message of Jesus to you. But not if it's hard. Like, are we actually going to say we would rather live in comfort on earth than you live with God for eternity? Our earthly comforts are more important to us than your eternal life. I, I give you the posture of the American church today. We have created an entire Christian culture where we are content to live nicely in one of the wealthiest settings in the history of the world. Not only physical wealth, but spiritual wealth. Access to the gospel where we can give lip service to our Lord every Sunday, all the while turning a deaf ear and blind eye to billions of people who have never even heard the name of Jesus. Now, this is not biblical Christianity. This kind of thinking and talking reflects an unbiblical understanding of discipleship. If you are a Christian, you have died to yourself, to the comforts of this world, to the pursuits and possessions of this world, and your life is God's to spend however he wants for his glory in the world. And this is not just for mature Christians or crazy ones or radical ones. This is for every Christian. We're not playing a game here. You have not been called to, created for a nice religious game to play every Sunday while you live like everybody else in the world. The Jesus you follow said, if anyone come, would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is your Lord. So we stop saying these phrases. 
and we start going right where we live and wherever God leads. And we start right where we live, on mission, local ministry, local mission. Yes, God has put you in the neighborhood you're in right now, in the apartment complex you're in, and that, on that campus, in that workplace, and that restaurant or shop this week. God has put you here, in this city, in different places, all around the city, surrounded by people who need this revelation from God. So yes, we go right where we live and, and we go wherever God leads. And in a world where over 2 billion people have never even heard the gospel, surely God will call multitudes of us to go to them in all kinds of ways. Like I've met so many different people who are working for the spread of the gospel in those mountains. Some who've gotten teaching degrees and instead of looking for a teaching job and a place where the gospel is already gone, they have moved to this place where the gospel is not yet gone to teach there. Nurses who've gotten nursing degrees and instead of getting a nursing job where people have already heard the gospel, they've intentionally moved to places where the gospel is not gone. I met one guy who's an aquaponics expert. I don't know if you know much about aquaponics, but it's basically trout poop, okay? What it, the way this works, it's Un, like the, he, this, I don't even know. I actually, I don't know how it works. I'm about to try to explain it, but it's he basically takes uh, trout poop waste. I should say waste. That's such so much better in a sermon. So waste, and uh, he can turn it into uh, nutrients for plants that provide food in villages that are struggling to find food. That's my best summary of all, and he would be very disappointed in that. But I just, I'm looking at this brother. Here he's got gifts in aquaponics that he's using for the spread of God's glory among people who've never heard it. I just look across this church, I see so many different gifts. I see so much opportunity. I see students who can study in places where the gospel's not gone. I see professionals who have jobs who will go and take you. You'll get paid to go where the gospel's not yet gone. I see retirees, what better way to spend these days in your life before you see your Savior's face than making him known among people who've never even heard his name? Like what happens if we start to say, how can God use my gifts, the unique grace he's given me, to make his known words, name known where it's never been heard? So we start going right where we live, wherever God leads, and we continually send from the church with our resources. So I think about Acts 13, when the church in Antioch prayed and fasted and worshiped, and God said, set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. And he sends them out to go where the gospel had not yet gone. So just to give you a heads up, at some point in the next few months, we're gonna have a time where we fast and pray as a church and we're just gonna ask, God, who are you setting apart to go? And we're gonna see what he does. We're not gonna be content with business as usual in a world where two billion people have never even heard the name of Jesus. We want this church to count, our lives, our families to count for the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we are indeed not just gonna play a Sunday game here. We wanna send multitudes from here to the unreached. Multitudes, I pray with our resources, so yes, with our giving behind them and our giving behind our brothers and sisters in the world. So, so yes, yes, God has entrusted much physical resource to us. How can we use it? How can we use it for the spread of his glory in the world? Here's one thing I want you to know we're doing along these lines. So I wanna encourage you uh, continually to give generously, sacrificially each week to the church. Much of what we do in mission, locally and globally, comes out of just your weekly giving. And then... So I know that periodically you might have some extra resource that comes your way that God provides through this or that means. What we've done is set up a fund. So it's called just that. We're calling it the fund. 
And as you are able to give over and above your regular giving to the church, I want to invite you to give to the fund. And 100% of that money is gonna go toward urgent spiritual and physical need in the world. So to fund initiatives like ICM, which Dale shared about a couple of weeks ago, working among the ultra poor, or in places like Ethiopia DR, or places right here in Metro Washington, ministries like The House and Daybreak, or church planning in lower income areas, but we're also gonna fund work in places where the gospel is not gone, like the Himalayas in Yemen, across Asia, North Africa, the Middle East. So I'm working with a team of our leaders, both the team of leaders, both from our church and from around the world to develop an excellent system that expertly vets and strongly supports partners who are doing the most biblically faithful, practically effective work among the most urgent spiritual and physical needs in the world. And we as a church are gonna get behind them. I'll report to you along the way what we're doing through the fund. Again, over and above, just regular giving. I want you to have a place that as God provides you with extra resources, you can give and know that it's all going to urgent spiritual and physical needs here in Metro Washington and to the ends of the earth. So as of today, in the days ahead, you can give to McLean Bible Church designated the fund. That's gonna help us send from the church with our resources into a world of urgent spiritual and physical need. And I use that wording specifically because both needs are important and both are urgent. So physical need is, is evident, like children dying of preventable disease, families in need of clean water, medicine, education, trafficking, prevention. Physical need, yet spiritual need is ultimate because the reality is as great as a water filter is, it won't get anyone to heaven. And as great as medicine is, it will only help for a time. The word of God is people's greatest need and we must proclaim it. And urgent is the right word here. Like people in the Himalayas don't have time for us to debate whether or not we're gonna work to share and show God's love with them. Like, I'll just close with this picture. And I think I've shared this before, but I was there just last week at this place that's a, a Hindu holy site. It's a river. And uh, they believe it's a holy river. And they have funeral pyres set up over the river. And their custom is whenever a friend or family member dies, within 24 hours of them dying, they bring the body to that river. They place it on a funeral pyre. And they set the body ablaze. And the ashes go down in the river and they believe this is helpful in the process of reincarnation. So I'm standing there last week and uh, I'm looking at these bodies burning. You can just picture the sight, smell. And I realize that according to what the Bible teaches, like I am looking at a physical picture of a spiritual reality. These are people who 24 hours before were alive, now they're dead, and they're separated from God for all of eternity. And then if that wasn't heavy enough, then it hits me that most, if not all of those people who 24 hours before were alive are dead now, eternity separated from God, and nobody ever even told them how they could go to heaven. What will it take for the concept of unreached people to become totally intolerable to us as a church? 
We have this word. They need this word. And your life, your family, this church, like we can count for the spread of this word in the world. So let's not put any limits in our lives, our families, in our church on what that might look like. Let's ask God to spend us for the spread of his word, his grace, his glory to the ends of the earth. Will you bow your heads with me? As I prepare to pray, I just want to ask you, just in your heart right now, to say to God, I don't expect you to know what all this means for your life. But would you just say to God, whatever this means, I will do it. Would you just say that to God, whatever this means, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, right here, wherever you might lead, however much you want me to give, I will do it. Use my life, use my family, use your grace in me to make your grace known in the world. Oh God, please, please give us faith to surrender to you in that way. And we pray that you would answer that prayer and you would lead us and guide us and direct us in the days to come for the spread of your grace and glory right here in Metro Washington. God, we pray for the spread of your grace and glory right here. And we pray for the spread of your grace and your glory to the ends of the earth and that you would use us Use this church toward that end, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, who is worthy of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If over 2 billion people in more than 6,000 people groups do not hear God's word, they cannot experience salvation from their separation. They can't be saved from their sins if they never hear of the Savior of sinners. Mm, what a strong word from Pastor David today. And thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. If you'd like to watch today's full sermon, download the free discussion questions, or find more resources on the topics of the unreached, evangelism and making disciples, or meeting physical needs and missions, you can do all that and more at our website, Radical.net. And speaking of the nations, many of you know that we recently had our 19th Secret Church gathering, and if you missed out, you still can take part. The replay of Secret Church 19 is available throughout the month of May. So get your friends, family, small group, anyone together and register at secretchurch.org. And speaking of Secret Church, there is a brand new podcast that Radical has launched called The Secret Church 
podcast. Every year, every session, curated and edited into easy-to-listen episodes. Not that the full night of Secret Church is not easy to listen to, but definitely more bite-sized where you can listen to all of your favorite Secret Church content anytime you want, anywhere you want. So you can find the all-new Secret Church podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can help us get the word out about this new resource by first subscribing, but then also rating and reviewing the new podcast. We're so grateful for all of you who have voiced excitement about this new resource. Well, that's all for today. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. And until next time, join us at Radical.net.